This week on Geek Explained, y'all check out that Moon Knight trailer? Yeah, me too. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part three of our January series of comics conversations. And this week, we are taking a look at Moon Knight. Now, I have been doing this podcast for a few years now, and every single month for a good long while, we have had a Geek Explained Spotlight, where I take a look at a specific uh, title, a specific miniseries, maxi-series, ongoing, and I tell you how much I love it. And this month will be no different. With the debut of the newest Moon Knight trailer this past week, as of this recording, uh, I've been in a Moon Knight mood. I've been in a Mark Spector mood. And so I am going to be talking about the Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood Moon Knight run, the 14-issue series released in the mid-2010s that was my entry point into Moon Knight. And joining me in this conversation is Dallas of the Comics Collective. Uh, More on his amazing podcast later, but without further ado, the two of us are going to have a wonderfully nerdy and also, I would say, um, pretty heartfelt conversation. So uh, tune in after the jump for that, and without further ado, let's talk some Moon Knight. Ladies and gentlemen, let me take you back to the far-flung country slash location in every cool video game ever, Egypt. At night, moon shining down, the sand slowly caressing over the barren wasteland, and we cut in to a pyramid. And inside this pyramid, there is a statue, a large statue devoted to the moon god known as Khonshu. And in front of the statue, we find Mark Spector. Hey, that's me. I'm sure you're wondering how we got here. Well, it's a funny story. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Moon Knight. If you are unaware, last week, as of this recording, a little trailer dropped for a Disney Plus show called Moon Knights, the latest in the growing line of Marvel Disney Plus shows. And so watching the trailer, we're going to talk about thoughts a little bit later. I wanted to dive back into my favorite Moon Knight story. And joining me on this misadventure is my own imaginary friend slash alter ego. He's the master of disaster. He is Dallas Taylor. Dallas, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for bringing me out, man. I'm excited to be here. I was Absolutely. transported by that that Egypt. You know, I, I, I like to set a stage. I like to set a stage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> man, that was... 
I was excited when you reached out, I had to have an excuse to use this archaeology degree for something, you know, so <laughs> got to get my digs in at Egyptologists and throw out random crap. You better get ready for that because we've got we've got plenty, plenty in store for you. But listeners, Dallas is one part, a major part of the Comics Collective podcast. He's going to plug it a little bit later, so I'm going to plug it up front. Um, if you already don't know, if you like what I do here, you're going to love what they do over there, the Comics Collective. They're wonderful. Him alongside uh, Lexi and Anne, they're wonderful people. They're talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, check out their Quiver episode. It's off the rails in the best way. There's 10 minutes spent on a very specific uh, sexual act. And if that's what you're looking for with your comics, which why wouldn't it be? Comics Collective is for you, man. It truly was our most unhinged episode. Yeah, I got to the end of it. And I was like, I don't know that I can be proud of this product, but I can definitely say it exists. Well, and it's it's one of those things because like I you've obviously been on the podcast before we talked about many of things. Um, one of which being a little solo adventure that we went into the sweet tooth universe. But it's very rare that I get to have view on with just you without Lexi mm -hmm. and now I know the calming influence that Lexi must have on you as a person yeah because... yeah there's there's a very real <laughs> my little sister is on this call and you don't talk about certain <laughs> things no matter how adult she becomes no matter how like a peer she has become <laughs> I'm not gonna be a certain way around my sister so I respect it but Dear listener, Lexi isn't here, so we're going to go full <laughs> in on just how much money that Dracula owes Moon Knight. Dallas, how I, I, before we get into the story itself, how were you introduced to Moon Knight as a character? Uh, Moon Knight, he's an interesting guy. Basically, when I was getting into comics, it was the Marvel Now period. So One of the best the periods ever. It really was. At the end of high school, I was like, maybe I should finally check these comics out. And for whatever reason, I I took the Marvel solicitations very seriously when they had like the fold outs in the middle oh, of the comics. Yeah. Like, this is what's coming. And I, I very much was like, I have to check out everything. And so I saw the first ad for Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby's Moon Knight. I was like, I know nothing about this guy, but that cover looks pretty cool. I'll give it a try. And I was transported for six issues. It's like, this is bananas. And then the next issue came out and I didn't like it. And I never thought about the character again. <laughs> I really, I was like, no, it's not the same guys. I, I'm done. No, thanks. And then this week I saw that trailer and I was like, I need to know more. I need to know more <laughs> about this man because that was the first marvel tv show trailer that got me excited out of all of really interesting. Yeah, since i really was excited about wandavision and i felt mm. a little let down when the things i liked about it were let go at the end you know i like see two-thirds of that show was my shit <laughs> and then <laughs> the la the end cgi battle that just made me a grump basically and then moon knight pulled like me runes? back runes like... in the sky i just one of the worst things that Harry Potter did <laughs> was in those movies giving different colored plasma blasts oh, to no. every fight scene 
The beam forever. struggle, though, at the end. It's a classic Dragon Ball Z beam struggle. How can I, you not like that in your Harry Potter films? I, I just, I don't like it, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but Moon Knight doesn't have any laser beam powers. And so I was like, this is the promising one. <laughs> I've got, I got to pick my characters based on their ability to shoot a laser beam. And that's why there. Cyclops is not the best leader of the X-Men. All right, all right. We're going to... I'm I'm gonna shift focus here because if we stay on this track, you and I are gonna fight in a parking lot again, <laughs> and I'm not physically ready for that since last time did not go my way. So I am going to shift focus here uh, to me as I would on my podcast. Perfectly, perfectly, perfect segue is what that is. Um, Moon Knight is actually a character that just like Dallas, I I had no interest in. Especially because every single time that I would see him or that, you know, he'd pop up in like a show or he'd pop up in a comic book or in a video game. I'd be like, oh, who is this guy? And every single person I know would be like, oh, he's like Batman, but in Marvel. And I'm like, okay, I have very little interest in that. Does he have a Robin? No, I have even less interest in that now. And Moon Knight was never a character that I really gravitated towards. I think I played him one time in Marvel Ultimate Alliance because you got to play everybody in that game at least once. But I remember it was, um, what, when did this come out? It was probably like 2014, 2015. Um, I was in the comic book shop back in Tucson, shout out to Heroes and Villains. And I was looking for something, you know, something else i had you know picked up my pull list i was going through uh kind of going through the motions all my comics were at that middle point where it's like ah nothing's happening what's going on and i asked malcolm malcolm is always the guy to ask when it comes to uh, comic book recommendations or at least in my experience he is and he was like man have you been reading moon knight and i'm like, i said no I have no interest in the character. He's like, you should read Moon Knight. It is weird. And that's all you really need to do to get me to read a comic is just describe the character and the book is weird. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the first volume of Moon Knight by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood and Jordi Belair. And I, just like Dallas... I was transported for, I think it's six issues, no, five issues in the first volume. I did not know what way was up. I did not know what was happening in this book. I knew next to nothing about the character, which was fantastic because this book that we're talking about this week was my introduction to the character. First time I had ever read a Moon Knight comic. And now here we are years later, and I'm very excited about Moon Knight again. So... Dallas, you've read this book all the way through. Uh, you talked before about probably one of the most iconic Moon Knight stories, which is that Ellis and Shelby uh, six-issue series that I would just call a miniseries. I picked up the second volume as well, which continues on and does feature Smallwood on art, but it's not the same, man. And you know that. it's It's really not. There's this... It's very hard for anyone to be handed off the reins to something like that and go well there. Yeah. And so I'm, I would love to go back now 
and read it without just like that immediate disappointment (laughs) and like give it a fair shot but this jeff lemire run is magic oh like i i would recommend this to anyone because in reading some interviews from jeff lemire about the run he said he took the classic sinkowitz and munch run and the ellis run and made a baby He's like, those are the two <laughs> runs that I feel like capture the character and I wanted to play with both of those. And it really feels like everybody has just kind of been footnotes on those two cents. In my in my week and a half of reading so much Moon Knight, my eyes have gone <laughs> crossed. I've been like, oh, there are some themes here. And I think Lemire is a beautiful synthesis of two very different takes on a character that... That seems like a great jumping on point. So I, I'm envious of you that this was your jumping on point. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to me because for people who this wasn't their jumping on point, this could also be a total like flip you upside down story. Like everyone and their mother has talked about, man, what if Batman wakes up one day and he's actually in an insane asylum and all of the people who he's fought, all of his rogues are orderlies. And I mean, we, we've had that story multiple times. This is the promise of that premise done well, done right. And for me to come into this and be like, okay, so I can just... It's, it's nice for people who haven't read Moon Knight before because you don't need to. Everything is enhanced if you have read it and going back and reading other runs, learning more about the character and doing the reread for this week's podcast. Um, There's so much that goes into this that is really fascinating. But as a first time reader of Moon Knight, you get every single beat, like Dallas said, kind of squishing together two really iconic Moon Knight stories when it comes to the vibe, when it comes to the tone, when it comes to characterizations. And it also features arguably the best persona that Mark Spector has ever made, which is Mr. Knight. It's really, really great. I I have to say Moon Knight 1, though, might have been my favorite surprise in a comic book ever. I, I turned the page and saw the art switch, and we can get to that in a minute, but I, crazy. I gasped. I was like, I kind of skimmed past the, the credits page as I was, <laughs> really, I'm a bad person. You know, I was like, get me to the story, get me. I was shocked, floored even. I was like, how did I not know that you, Mr. Sneaky, was going to be in this book? <laughs> it was so fun. Well, and that's that's the cool thing about this too. And again, like Dallas said, we'll we'll get into the art in a little bit, but like, Going into this book and skipping past the credits page because we all do it once or twice. We all we're all scumbags, just how it is. Um, you are very quickly immersed in Moon Knight as a character. Now, for those of you listeners who don't maybe have an extensive knowledge of Moon Knight, if you're learning about the character for the first time, first of all, welcome. We will not be gatekeeping Moon Knight here. You can read any Moon Knight you want. I'm just saying you should read this one because it's great. But if you want to read something else, you have the freedom to read whatever Moon Knight run you want. I don't care what one person on Twitter says. You can read whatever you want. So back to the character. Yeah, um, I... It's, well, and, and, and Dallas, weigh in on this real quick because you're, I mean... 
as comic book readers, we have all run afoul of the gatekeepers when it comes to comic mm -hmm. books. Um, and it's, it's sad because all of, you know, a lot of people are learning about this character the first time and they're being faced with people who are like, okay, you can't read this cause this, this is stupid. You have to read this. Yeah. I, I think that's a very silly take on comic books, especially modern comic books. They do so much to be accessible. Yeah. Like halfway, th literally the run that we're talking about halfway through, they say, this is another great jumping on point. You don't even have to have read the first 10 issues of this. And I, I sort of disagree with them, but yes. I'm like, great effort though, guys. <laughs> like, com modern comic books want you to read them so badly that yeah. every 12 issues, they're going to give you a jumping on point. And honestly, you, I, my first comic book was in the middle of Jerry Dugan's Deadpool run. And I was Woof. fine. It was like the middle of an arc. Even I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. And I was okay. You just have to accept that you're not going to know and you'll probably know as you go. And that's okay. Okay. Sometimes the magic of being lost in a story and a character is that you get to learn about that character as they go. And that's what's kind of great about this is that uh, if you're new to the character, this kind of throws every almost everything out that came before that's like, look, if you want to learn about this character, you want to know what makes him tick. We don't even know what makes him tick. He doesn't know what makes him tick. But if you want to learn, jump on here. We're going to have a grand time. But the basic background with Moon Knight, Mark Spector was a mercenary. He ran afoul of a guy who hired him because he was being a dick. And he is basically nearly killed and left for dead in front of the... Uh, statue of the moon god Khonshu. He is resurrected, in essence, by Khonshu and given the task to enact his will on the world. Or maybe none of that happened. Who knows? Because Mark Spector has a lot of mental stuff going on. Uh, he's got several different personalities, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, all of the knights. And there should be, I just thought of this, there should be a Moon Knights of the Roundtable book where it's all, that's free, free advertising. Um, no, pay Eric for that idea. I mean, yes, obviously cut pay him, me for that. Cut him a check, but then you can do it, Marvel. Just, just a small check of $250,000 and I will give you that. Please take it, it's yours. But as you open up this book and as you start this book, Moon Knight has had a long career. He's been, you know, on several different teams. Sometimes he's been an Avenger and it's not been great. But you open up this book and you don't really know what's going on with Mark. He's in an he's in a mental institution. He is being bullied by Billy and Bobby, the worst two orderlies I have ever seen in my entire life. And this first volume is really just kind of setting up like what's going on, setting up the central mystery. And you know me, listeners, I love me a good mystery. I can't get through a story if it doesn't have a good mystery to it. And having the writing be so good, which is a staple of Jeff Lemire at this point, and we are, I guess, having a full series now of Dallas comes in and talks about Lemire comics. I'm where okay with that. I am totally okay with that. Um the writing is used in such a way that you don't really have a handle on what is going on at any given point. 
there's what you think is happening and what is you know made plain to you through the incredible art by greg smallwood um but there's also you know different dialogue or dialogues in this where you know everyone's seeing what mark is seeing but gina is like why is it raining what are you talking about like it's a fascinating kind of mindfuck that you don't often get with comics and it's really really interesting in this first volume how it plays with the reader on not just their expectations but as the mystery carries along what they think is true and then what they you know what they are surprised could not be true absolutely i think you made the comparison to batman wakes up in the asylum the difference with this for me is that there were times i really did wonder if mark was making this all up i think that's a strength of the writing and a strength of the character like i knew that this story probably wasn't about that but there was a creeping thought in the back of my head is this all made up is he here for a reason and it's that lack of balance with Moon Knight that makes him so compelling to me that you just race through the issues to figure out what's real, what's not, and how will Moon Knight solve all of this. I think one of my favorite panels of Moon Knight, it comes from that initial mini series where his cape sort of pulls the panel borders with him because he has such a great iconic white look to him that it's almost like he's peeling the panel off and it just it's accompanied by him saying i'm not real to a villain and it chills and this this whole first arc feels like the encapsulation of that like moon knight exists outside of space time and reality (laughs) almost and it allows for jeff lemire who's an incredibly talented writer to to really play with that and really play with the reader as you go yeah and Lemire's writing is used in such a way that every single character has purpose and every single character has an id about them there's something going on with every single character whether it be Billy and Bobby whether it be Dr. Emmett or Amut um, there's all kinds of different plates spinning And then when we are introduced or reintroduced to his supporting cast, we're talking about Crawley, we're talking about Frenchie, we're talking about Marlene and Gina. If you have a handle on this character, you recognize these people. And even if you don't, you recognize that Mark has a special relationship with them. They matter. And it doesn't make sense that they would be in here with him. And so as uh, as Dallas said like the entire book this first volume is built around this question of is this real or is this not has mark been imagining the moon knight or is you know something more nefarious going on um also just looking at some of this i love the page where billy and bobby come in and he's got that get up where he's torn off the sheets of his bed and made a makeshift moon knight mask and cape so freaking cool the artwork from greg smallwood is incredible because like you mentioned greg smallwood had drawn moon knight before he was the one that inherited that mini series from declan shelvey and i remember not being like impressed one way or the other really mm-hmm. and even jeff lemire in interviews said that when he got the first pages back 
from Greg Smallwood for this book. He's like, oh, this book's going to win Eisner's. Like I kind of was, he's like, I had seen Greg Smallwood's work. And I was like, oh, he's really talented. This will be fun. And then I got pages back and was like, oh, this is going to be the most special book of 2016. And you feel it on every single page. The art department from Smallwood and Jordi Belair is the secret sauce of every perfect oh, comic. So true. So true. <laughs> And it's just breathtaking every page as you go. Yeah. And his art is, and it's not just like, you know, his character work, which is stunning at all times. It's not just his shot composition. It's the way he frames panels. Like there's, there are multiple panels in this first volume where there's a page where it's the panel layout is basically like an exclamation point with segments in between it. And it, messes with you because if you're a longtime comic book reader you're used to a certain style of panel layouts or even if you know people tend to play with it you know there is a certain there's a certain decorum when it comes to panel layouts with pages and what's really incredible about this is that there are no panel borders in this first volume the gutters are as much a part of the page as any of the panels are because the white that is typically saved for being hard blocked between uh, between panels is almost like it's almost like uh, clouds. It's almost like just it's holding up this these images that may or may not be true and it helps to mess with you as the reader. And I'm not usually a person who's just like, you know, um, you got to subvert expectations for the heck of it. But like the idea of this entire book may just be a dream is not, it's not used in a way that is demeaning to a reader. It's fascinating because you have little hints throughout that. Yeah, something's wrong. You know, he sees at one point, Billy and Bobby are these dog faced, you know, Egyptian creatures but at the set at the other point you know he talks to certain members of his little adventuring party and like I mentioned earlier Gina is like what are you talking about they're just orderlies like running at us but she's still going along with it so it's really unclear what's happening but not in a way that's confusing to the reader or makes them want to you know lose any kind of investment it drives you deeper down the rabbit hole and all of this is being overlooked and uh, overseen by Khonshu. Khonshu is an active player in this story, and I'm usually, when it comes to, you know, characters with certain faith to, you know, any kind of, you know, god, higher power, whatever, it's always been more fascinating to me for that higher power to never be part of the story. Because then you can play with ideas of faith, ideas of, you know, is this, you know, this god that I worship real? But in this story specifically, Khonshu is a major player and is the main antagonist for the entire series. And he is incredible. I love the depiction of him using the Mr. White suit, the giant, you know, uh, skull, the bird skull, and all of his, and it's a very little thing, but all of his dialogue is in a different uh, font than everybody else's. And it's little things that like that that really sing for this character. I 
for me, um, this is a different kind of nerd that's about to come out, but I, my main field of study is the Hebrew Bible. And so when, when you look at Mark Spector, he is one of Marvel's canonically Jewish characters, which in a very largely Jewish medium, you'd be shocked at how few there are. (laughs) There's a great joke in Jed McKay's ongoing Moon Knight about how Ben Grimm sends Moon Knight a Hanukkah card every year. That's incredible. And he's like, you really should find some more observant Jewish friends. (laughs) But when you look at the history of, of Judaism, Egypt is obviously an important place. And I think this book plays with that a lot because in this Egyptian wasteland, Mark Spector is coming face to face with and grasping the nature of Kansu as a god in the same way that Moses came to terms with the nature of God in Egypt in the Exodus. And there's a lot of interesting back and forth play that Jeff Lemire does with that, that like kind of like you said, you like books that explore faith when you don't get to see God. And that's a big part of the Exodus story is no man has seen the face of God. Mm-hmm. And Mark Spector says, well, I, I went and found a God that I can see, that I can touch, that I can interact with. And that's more tangible for me in a life that is intangible. And I like that the seeming arc of this story, again, is rooted in him realizing that like that God isn't what he needs to latch on to. He, it's, and I guess like minor spoilers here, but <laughs> like one of the big reveals is when it's his face under the mask of God, right? Mm. And again, Hebrew nerd thing, but <laughs> bring the, it up. this, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but it made me think about this and love it in the book. The, the word for like the image of God that comes up a lot in Exodus, it's, it's the same word for image, like a statue or an idol. Mm. So when it says like, don't make any graven images, don't make any statues like Kansu to other gods, it's playing off this idea that like mankind and Mark Spector is already the image of God. Mm. And so like for me, when the big reveal was that like Mark Spector is Kansu, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, that is cool. And then they immediately <laughs> go into his dad being a rabbi and everything in the second arc. Yeah. And it just really sung to me personally going throughout the rest of the story that this was a story about how Mark Spector had to learn to latch onto himself a little bit. He had to learn to love himself and look inward instead of just wearing a mask of faith, which I think is an important lesson for a lot of people to learn. Absolutely. Regardless of faith, regardless of, you know, what you believe in, that is an inherently important journey for everyone to go on. And Mm -hmm. the journey that Mark goes on in this story is one that has all kinds of twists, turns, and different um, questions that are asked. And those questions kind of get deeper as you finish off the first volume and go into the second volume, where, as Dallas alluded to earlier, you turn a page and all of a sudden it's a completely different artist. We bring in the boy himself, Stoko, on this, and he is... Oh, I and I had the same reaction to you when I first read this book um, because it's literally you are used to the Smallwood art throughout the entire story 
and you get to this issue where he is chasing down the Moon Knight in his classic old school Moon Knight garb and he walks through a door and all of a sudden he's on the moon and he's in this futuristic looking Voltron suit and he's you know being hounded by these moon werewolves and then the art changes again and he's with uh marlene on a film set and he runs away from billy and bobby and he changes again to frank avia who is one of my favorite artists mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's jake lockley and then as everything just kind of starts to fall apart and become worse and worse and worse for him he realizes that the journey and the mission that he had had before wasn't what he thought it was that Kansu is looking to possess his body and that this whole thing has essentially been a has been a scheme by him to weaken Mark to the point that he would accept him and Mark refuses. He jumps out of this giant pyramid, seemingly to his death, and then wakes up as Stephen Grant. And the absolute, just over the course of one issue, changing the entire book is a feat that Lemire, Smallwood, and company are absolutely batshit crazy for doing. But it works so well. It's it's incredible because as a comics fan, you will become used to the villain artist. Yes. Everybody has to come to terms with the idea <laughs> of a villain artist. And I feel like I have to come to terms with like every three months. I'm like, why is this happening? Like, well, Basically. you know why it's happening. <laughs> but this book made that a treat. That made it an aspect of the book to bring in just monsters in the field like Stoko, like Frank Avia, and to cast them perfectly for the kind of story that they needed to tell. Yes. I always, I love create, I love writers who were artists because they know how to play to an artist's strength. Yep. You look at the work of someone like Scotty Young, someone like Rick Remender, someone like Brian Michael Bendis, they, they pick artists for the kind of stories they want to tell and let those artists sing. It's a, it's a real talent that I think the greats have. And Jeff Lemire has it in spades. And the second volume of Moon Knight is one of the very best examples of letting artists play to their strengths and the book succeeding because of it. It's, yeah. it's incredible. The same issue has just neon-drenched noir from Frank yes. Avila and space werewolves from James Stoko. It's <laughs> everything you could want. And while the uh, the Stephen Grant stuff is... I guess more benign in nature when it comes to like the subject matter. Well, Fredo Torres, who is killing it right now in Superman 78, um, does a fantastic job at making this feel idyllic to the point of making the reader question it mm-hmm. because the end of the first volume ends with Wilfredo Torres is, you know, Stephen Grant basically being like, Oh, that was just, a dream and he's some hotshot Hollywood producer and everything's cool. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. And with the second volume, it picks up right from there. It picks up with 
him on this movie set for Moon Knight the movie being produced by Stephen Grant for Marvel Studios. So like, good. The amount of meta bullshit that is in here makes me so happy. It's it's ridiculous. You know, he's talking about like, oh man, we cast Mark Spector and the guy's kind of a wild card. And I'm like, is this about to turn into, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. on the set of Iron Man? We don't know if this is going to work or not. Like, just the amount of layers that it runs with is really, really cool. And then it, like Dallas said, jumps immediately into more Frankavilla, f- jumping into all of it and showing off the uh, the storytelling through the art and keeping the reader just as much as Mark on the back foot, not knowing like, oh, which one is real, which one's actually happening, which one is um, fake and which one is he imagining it's really really well done and having the three personalities be so different and tell such different stories is so cool do you have a favorite out of the three i mean i'm a huge sucker for james stokoe i fair a godzilla half century war is like a comfort comic of mine that i read all the time (laughs) alien dead orbit is beautiful and this felt very alien dead orbit totally in and it was just so unexpected you know i stephen grant as like the safe the safe place for mark specter to go to that makes sense i expect Mm -hmm. that the noir drenched james lockley's like okay i expect that that's a really cool way to tell the story but i expect that but i never in a million years would have predicted moon knight one lead i wanted a whole <laughs> book of that and it just seemed to come out of left field for me and but even that served a purpose then mm-hmm. within the story helping mark realize like oh you you're new i don't know you as well yeah. and being able to walk that back in the conclusion of the story was really special as well yeah totally agree i mean the the stoko stuff is i think the most um the most subtly story forward of the three like you have you know jake lockley dealing with you know interacting with the different characters in the supporting cast he interacts with crawley then with frenchie then with gina while stephen grant might you know primarily deals with uh marley but or not marley no marlene and the moon knight one stuff you know mark specter you know werewolves took manhattan the avengers and the x-men were turned and we brought the remains of humanity to the moon and now they're coming in and we've got lupardin who is coming in here who's leading this just it's incredible and it's not something that you expect to see in a in a moon knight comic it really feels like jeff lemire can't help but make it sci-fi no yes. matter what, just <laughs> deep inside of his bones, you get there's two versions of me. There's Canada Lemire and there's sci-fi Lemire. And yes. there's nothing in between. <laughs> and so he's like, I can't make him Canadian. So I'll make it sci-fi, baby. <laughs> and there's there's a double page spread that bounces in each panel between the Stoko and Francovia art, and it's so cool. Like the you the art is really the main as much as 
I think the writing is the uh, is the main focus in the first volume. It's the art in the second volume for me, showing off all the different uh, all the different personas, showing off their story, um, introducing us to different characters at different points, and continuing to make Mark and all of the other personas question what's happening until finally at the end he encounters the actual Mark who has not died from his jump out of the pyramid and Smallwood's art comes back in to say, look, you guys aren't real. This is, I've been imagining this. I didn't know what was going on, but now I'm starting to get a sense of it. The personality is not knowing what he's after is really interesting too. Cause that's something I had this idea and I'll, I'll talk about it later for a Moon Knight show that I think would have been, really off the beaten path and probably wouldn't have worked but having the um having the personas almost in conflict with each other is really fascinating when uh when specter when moon knight one gets essentially dusted is one of the coolest like freak out moments that i've had reading like reading a comic book where it's like whoa what the hell is happening and the conclusion of this where all of the um, you know, Jake Lockley essentially rages against the dying of the light and goes out swinging on Mark Spector and he finds th- that he has to go look for Steven and the two of them having this nice little moment because Steven was with him since he was a kid and the two of them not sure about what's going to happen next and having Steven be scared I thought was really, uh, really fascinating. Yeah, I... I agree. I I think Moon Knight's mental illness is something that people are well aware of with the character. I I think it's something that a lot of writers want to play with. Yeah. But I have never seen it's the feeling of that sold in the way that volume two sells Mark Spector's dissociative identity disorder, right? Jeff Lemire said his big goal for all of this was to make a book about Mark Spector's mental illness, but also just mental illness in the 21st century. It's no secret Jeff Lemire is someone who has had his own bouts with mental illness. It's a big part of all of his work. And like, I love that you said the art tells the story in volume two, because I don't think having a singular artist through this would have sold these aspects and personalities and these identities of mark in the same way i my i felt my mind shift when we went to different artists i felt the safety of stephen i felt the rough and tumble like sexy underground of lockley i felt the heightened sci-fi escapism of moon knight one and i don't think that would have happened any other way really and I'm grateful for that because it's something I will carry into other stories about Moon Knight, that these are very real people to Moon Knight. When you say Stephen is scared of this confrontation with Mark, it's not, Stephen's not an imaginary friend. It's, you know what I mean? There's a weight to all these interactions that I don't think I would have felt without the legwork from Jeff Lemire and especially the art team. Well, and it's it's fascinating too because that 
that conversation that they have at the end and they it's really interesting and i you know doing the reread this time i caught something that i didn't catch before is that the story of stephen grant in this volume is he wanted to make this make this movie to put a spotlight on mental illness that's why they have the gala at the mental hospital that's why i think in a conversation with marlene i'm looking for right now he's just you know she reminds him like you are the one who wanted to you know use oh yeah here right here uh she says uh now we could use the superhero genre to explore some real themes identity mental illness you had a vision for this and the idea that in such a meta way they are using this marvel comic book to do the same thing is fascinating to me and steven's you know conversation with mark at the end where he's you know mark says i need to be me again i need to be healthy i can't keep doing this and the two of them having this amicable parting where he says you know just promise me you'll find a way to be happy it's it feels like even if and i remember reading this for the first time being this guy who had no understanding of what was happening who these characters were you felt that weight you felt that connection you felt that these two had essentially been friends for a very long time and you feel that loss when he says goodbye to him you know they have they they hug and he's gone it's one of those moments that you know to talk about another marvel property it's one of those catch your breath moments like i had in uh, in doctor strange uh, it doesn't happen very often, but the moment when um, in the scene where he's kind of astral projection saying goodbye to the ancient one and, you know, they're talking about the they're talking about mortality and the idea of, you know, letting things go to grow into something greater. And then Steven turns and she's gone, knowing that that means that she's passed. There's that catch yourself moment where mark and steven hug and all of a sudden we're back to the smallwood art we're back to mark alone for the first time in god knows how long and he stands up and i just want to read this because it's it's so fucking good the writing here he says and i'm all alone all alone and it's so quiet i don't know how long i've been here lost in this world of the dead all I know for sure is that for the first time in a long time, I feel clear-headed enough to do something about it. I feel the moonlight on my face and I know, I just know, there's only one way this can end. I have to go back to the hospital. I have to kill Kansu. Like, it's that stealing of, you know, the dark night of the soul when it comes to, you know, the hero's journey of him hitting rock bottom, which is essentially this entire volume where he's hit rock bottom, he is not able to understand where he is or what personality he is and he finally is able to steal himself and say i need to get this under control this is me taking the first step in maybe not fixing but improving my mental state my first step my first step in self-care and moon knight is not especially known for self-care so getting that kind of like yeah kick-ass moment hit the credits we're on to the next volume kind of moment was really really cool for me how'd you feel about the second volume as a whole i i loved it i i love how personal it felt yeah and i mean maybe like to give a little peek behind the curtain i 
I myself and many of my loved ones have had bouts with, with periods of mental illness and like just a low period in general, whatever name you want to give anything. I think everyone on earth has experienced a low point. And I would argue most of us the last two years have felt a low (laughs) point. And I, I empathize so much with that, almost the fear of letting it go, of recognizing that Steven isn't real. I, there was a moment for me where I recognized like you have been not good for a while. And it's almost scarier to say, I'm going to fix it. I have to go out on this other path is scarier than like, I'm going to stay low on this familiar path that I know. And like that felt deeply personal. I, I don't have DID. I'm not like Mark Spector in that way, but I felt so seen reading this comic as someone who wants to make efforts to have a healthier mental state. And I feel like that it's a common thing that people our age, people of this generation have to feel and have to face that there isn't always a roadmap for. And so to get back into that meta commentary of it all, I do think that this was a successful outing by the creative team to shine a light using superheroes on mental illness and taking care of that in a way that felt really personal and special. It didn't feel like you were being preached at. It didn't feel like it was a very special comic book. You know, (laughs) it was just real. And it was something that you wanted to emulate. And it's, it's something I want to hand to people and, and let them come to the discovery themselves. So that's what it's about. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I I think I've been fairly open on the podcast about my struggles with depression, my struggles with mental health. And it's as much as we are, you know, the woke generation and whatever, like you don't see this kind of spotlight put on mental health in popular media. What's taboo, right? No one wants to address the elephant in the room. Exactly. Because it's easier just like, you know, as you eloquently put with mark you know it's easier to just put your head down and continue trudging one way than to embark on this odyssey of self-improvement it's hard it's difficult and knowing that you are worth it and knowing that you as a person are worth the struggle to get better is a battle that literally i think everyone at one point in their life has gone through and some people go through multiple times. I think uh, that's key is like, you're go- it's going to happen over yeah. and over and over again. Like even myself, I, I caught myself a couple weeks ago, like, ooh, you need to uptick a little bit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, I think something this comic does really well as well is like, you're never going to hate yourself into being better. You yeah. know, like Mark, at the end of the day, it's a superhero comic, he uses his fists, but like he doesn't hate his mental illness into going away. He has to learn to love himself and care about himself and want what's best for him to get better, you know? And I feel like that that's a lesson that I have to continue to learn over and over again. That like, you have to love yourself into being better. And Mark Spector loves himself. He loves all, he learns to love all these aspects of himself to get better. And that's, that's magic. I was was writing down that you're never going to hate yourself into being better that's so eloquent it's it's 
it and it's a lesson that mark learns in this story and it's a lesson that we all learn at some point and some of us have to continue to learn you know self-improvement is never a all right great i'm fixed forever it's a constant battle and in this uh in this third volume we get to see a physical battle to better yourself to let go of the crutch that you've had which is Kansu in this in this uh, specific story this idea that you know he needs Kansu more than Kansu needs him has been this lie that he's perpetuated for years throughout however long he's been connected to the character and as we get to you know, third volume when he's steeled himself. We're getting, f we finally get those flashbacks of him as Kid Mark meeting little little Stephen Grant, and you know his father comes in and he's just like, oh, I'm just talking to my friend, and you could see the worried look on his father's face because like there's, like you like you said before, there's a certain taboo to mental health. There is this look on his father's face that is a profound sadness. Because not only, you know, is this, does mental health affect the person who is directly um, feeling it, but it affects the people around them. And so that's why I think a lot of people who have any kind of like mental illness or any kind of things that they struggle with hold it in so much because they don't want it to affect people around them. And I know I am very guilty of that. There are moments where I, you know, have a a rough time, you know, mentioned a couple weeks ago you know about a month and maybe maybe like a month and a half ago i was down bad but there's this you know there's this thing that we're taught and especially you know not gonna not to get into gender roles but there's this thing about like men who are you are not allowed to have any kind of mental trouble you yeah, are not I, allowed to feel weak boys don't cry like, boys don't cry that was something i i was taught as a kid same. You know what I mean? I was taught boys don't cry. And sometimes you need to fucking cry. <laughs> sometimes you do. And it's like, this is this story of, you know, Mark accepting that and being able to, like you said, love himself into getting better was, I mean, it, it's, it's a perfect third act to a story. And it's a story that I felt incredibly, uh, even back when I was reading it for the first time, incredibly addicted to. Because it was something that, like you said, I felt seen. I felt like, as, as you said, I don't have dissociative identity disorder, but I struggle with stuff. And to have a book that gives its main character who struggles with stuff the permission to get better is incredibly profound and makes this like i said my favorite moon knight story and i think one of the best moon knight stories um talking about like the book itself because we've we've been focusing a lot on the feelings which is good sometimes you need to um there it returns to the gorgeous uh smallwood art while they tell the story and this story not only shows the i don't want to say the conclusion but the the next step in mark's journey in self-love it also shows the beginning of his story it's essentially a hey we're gonna now give you his origin story 
which is something that the like superhero tv shows love to do where it's like we're gonna introduce you these characters and then we'll give you their origin and backstory in episode 12 in a 13 to 14 episode series and normally it that breaks the pace up a lot but in this story and in this volume i think it's used utilized really well the framing device of having mark dealing with his memories of bushmaster and of meeting frenchie and of becoming moon knight being juxtaposed by him making the choice to reject Konshu is incredible and he even you know he says Kanchu even says, you know, this is a flashback, Mark. It's being intercut with the present. And in just the most, like, meta middle finger to breaking the fourth wall, um, it is showing two points in time where he went through a spiritual and emotional rebirth. And the flashpoint that they make in the center is going to decide what happens to Mark next. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You, you said that really well. I got so caught up in what you were saying. <laughs> Head empty. No thoughts. No notes. That was great. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep this, this cut in the edit then. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it's really good. It's like, we talk a lot about the animal man by Grant Morrison, Watchmen by Alan Moore. These like big, treatises from a talented voice in comic books this feels like like jeff lemire's moon knight is a little bit like if you had to distill all of what jeff lemire is down into a comic book and then make it really really approachable but in like a fun meta commentary kind of way that's what moon knight is if yeah. you're someone who likes that kind of thing something that plays with the form of comic books something that has a larger commentary on the real world but does it with capes and fists like don't turn anywhere else yeah look no further and what's what's beautiful about this i think just as much as um just as much as the art just as much as the commentary just as much as the the story of mark working his way out of his own hell is that the ending is so perfect I and I I don't like to use that a lot because I think striving for perfection is a recipe for disaster and calling something perfect is really it sets it at a really high bar that I don't like to put on things but I am a big fan of stories that leave the ending up to the reader it can be very hokey it can be very hokey very contrived but this the ending of this book reminded me of one of my favorite runs of all time which is the uh uncanny x-force run it is one of my favorite books doesn't matter whether it's x-men marvel dc whatever it is one of my favorite books the remainder x-force uncanny x-force run is one of my favorites because of how it ends the ending and i'm not going to spell the whole thing but it involves shadow king and all this stuff the in the end there are two characters who are having a conversation and one of them just goes maybe we're imagining this like shadow king was kicking our asses and his whole deal is like messing with minds maybe we're just um, maybe our brains are fried and we're just imagining this and the last couple seconds of life ticks away and the other person kind of holds their hand they're like well 
even if this is a dream, it's a really good one. And like, ah, beautiful. I'm getting teared up just thinking about it. And the idea that this book kind of ends in the same way, right? Where Mark owns himself. He doesn't just love himself. He owns who he is. It's not about rejecting Stephen Grant. It's not about rejecting Jake Lockley. It's not about rejecting Mark Spector as a person, which he makes arguably the mistake of at the end of the second volume. It's him owning all of it. He says, I am Mark Spector. I am Stephen Grant. I am Jake Lockley. And we are going to be okay. We are going to live with who we are. And... the the whole idea of you know everybody goes through that you know never meet your heroes you know don't worship idols and stuff like that finding a character who you find compelling whether it's you know in history or in fiction is incredibly important when you feel like they are on the same journey as you and him finally coming to the point where he says we are going to be okay is i'm choking up talking about it Mm -hmm. um this is fucking spider-man life story all over again uh the idea that he is no matter what the future holds no matter what the next step is he knows he is okay and he's going to be okay is just incredible um he he i'm just gonna read this as well because he says quiet for the first time in a long time our mind is quiet to juxtapose what he said about my mind. And I just let it wash over me. I let it be quiet. Then doubt starts to creep in. Is this real? All I know for sure is that the rain feels real as it hits our face. Real enough anyway. And that's good enough for us. Chef's kiss. It's it's beautiful. It feels like the ending of Chris Somney and Mark Wade's run on Daredevil. Yes absolutely it feels like a end end credits like everything since then on it's there have been great runs on daredevil since then for sure but you're like that's the end of the character in my head forever yeah like this will be the end of moon knight in my head forever yeah i i never have to read another moon knight comic and what's great is that this book because of how it's designed and how it's built can take place at any point in the character's history it really this can, can be the final Moon Knight story if you want it to be. Absolutely. Um, I love the end of this book. I I love that this book gives me feelings. I feel like sometimes <laughs> I, when I talk about comics, if you come over to my podcast, you'll see, sometimes I like to dissect and look at the guts of a comic and it all just kind of washes over me, you know? <laughs> this is a book that didn't wash over me in a special way. This the conversations between Mark and Kansu, where you realize that Kansu was just another mask for Mark to put on. I felt that where I was like, oh, there are things that can seem like an escape from your bad things. You can, you can hyper fixate on a hobby as much as you want Dallas, but like that is an actually self-care. You know what I mean? There you can get into whatever you can find your Kansu's, your, your new purpose, your new life. But again, like, that's not going to heal you in the way that you need. What you need is to tell yourself, uh, that, that actually feels productive. What you need to do is like find what makes you feel still and find that peace and that love within yourself. And like, 
the fact that that was how Mark Spector won in the end was realizing that there wasn't going to be an external thing he could find that would make him better. It was finding that he could help himself become better. It was dynamite. It was magic. It's, it's a message that I feel like everybody needs to hear. Like you listener, we're all going to be okay. Just like Mark Spector, you're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Eric's going to be okay. And okay doesn't mean done or complete or finished. It, it just means you're, you're good right now. You will average out good, you know, that, that feels attainable and that feels real. Yeah, there, there's, there's this scary thing about self-improvement and about bettering yourself because you feel like you have to do so much all at once. Like you have to go from incredibly depressed to loving life within, you know, snap of the fingers. And what's great about this book and what's great about the process itself is that not being okay is okay. Because as long as you understand that you will be okay and you take the steps to get okay, it's all going to work out. You know, it's, you don't, people like to say, you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. And then, you know, as, as cliche as that saying is, it's true. You know, building yourself up takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of you questioning things and trying to rebuild something or build it for the first time. And knowing that the most important thing that you can do and the biggest thing that is going to leap you forward into, you know, where you want to be, whether it's your mental state, whether it's whatever, is taking that first step, which is the scariest part. You know, we were talking about earlier, you know, going on one path and seeing the path that it takes to get better. The hardest moment is taking that step off and going on to placing your foot down on the unpaved path that is going to reach out to some kind of unknown. It's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes you have to fight a literal moon god to get there. But what you are doing by taking that first step is going to be way more important than the 50th or the 100th step that you take. It's... It's tough, it's difficult, but nothing worth having is easy. And mental health is something that we all got to work on. And this is a book that uh, speaks to that. This is a book that speaks to the triumph of the human spirit. This is a book that speaks to someone trying to be okay with who they are. By the end of the book, Mark Spector is okay with all of who he is. And my hope for you, listener, is that you get there as well. I love the what you pointed out from, like, I'm going to be okay to we're going to be okay. Because there, there's an ownership of self that comes yeah. with Mark Spector there that I think is an important lesson as well. Again, if this book serves the purpose of destigmatizing mental illness and mental health struggles it you're not broken or wrong for feeling this way 
Absolutely. know what I mean? Like Mark didn't have to say all that was pretend and it's made up and I'm completely better and therefore I'm okay. Like, no, he didn't. He, he acknowledged all that he is, who he is, his struggles, his triumphs. And he said that whole package is going to be okay. And I think that was a big revelation for me. I was like, I don't have to beat my bad parts. I, I can chip away at them as much as I want to, but like, I'm okay as a person, even with them there, you know, like I, I am, I am worth things. I am lovable. I, I, Mark Spector is a hero, even if at the end of this, he hasn't defeated mental illness. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I think that's a really cool thing that Jeff Lemire put in there that I think it would be very easy to make the story beat. And Mark Spector defeated his mental illness. And he was never sick again. He was never sick again. And that that's not real. That's not yeah. actually healing. And I I think that's an important message that I was reminded of reading this comic book. Because comic books are great. Comic books are great, y'all. I don't know what else to tell you. We've spent some time here talking about a wonderful book. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the book as a whole before we uh, kind of round things out here? I mean, costing everybody some money here. This is a great singular story, which are hard to come across in comics. It's really yes. accessible. It It's finite in a way that doesn't seem daunting. And Marvel Comics is reprinting the crap out of Moon Knight Comics all through March to go along with the TV show. So there is a complete collection of all 14 of these issues that's coming out in March. And if you liked this conversation, I read this on Marvel Unlimited because tiny apartment in New York City, but I think you should go get the epic collection and see that Greg Smallwood art Totally physically agree. have that whole story all together in that one little book it comes out mid-march and it's a great segue into the television show that i'm very very excited for yeah same here um like i said before this is my first introduction to moon knight for me this is how he is going to stay um we can have all the memes in the world about dracula owing him money and about him being incredibly just batshit crazy all the time and we can have him steal thor's hammer and because it's made of moon rock and all of the wonderful stuff that's happened with moon knight since but to me mark's story will always be one about the journey to be okay and this book as my introduction to moon knight i would need nothing less um but yeah Speaking of that show, let's talk, let's wax poetic for just a quick bit as we're finishing up here. Uh, That trailer, man, looks incredible. And it feels a lot like it's pulling from this story. How did you, how did you feel about the trailer? How did you like Oscar Isaac? All I gotta say is Oscar Isaac is hot enough to make me read Moon Knight comics. (laughs) And like... (laughs) That's saying something because <laughs> I I feel like I was one of the hardest sells on this ever. I was like, I do not care about Moon Knight. I do not, I have not liked many of these Disney Plus shows. I'm kind of a Scrooge about it. And I usually don't even watch trailers, but it came across my proverbial desk. And I watched it and I was like, huh, oh, that's kind of 
huh? Oh, whoa, huh? That it. <laughs> wow. And then when he was just pounding on a werewolf there at the end, I was oh, like, yeah. all right, all right. I was pulling up Marvel Unlimited right then yeah. to go and figure out what was up with this Egyptian guy. It looks great. It looks exciting. And it looks more focused and driven to tell a story about a character instead of bridge a gap between movies mm -hmm. in a way that makes me very excited. Yeah, totally agree. It was cinematic. It was engrossing. Um, you can tell that they have a certain care for this. Uh, I am on the opposite spectrum of Dallas. I've actually been really enjoying all of the Disney Plus shows. There are definitely things I would fix and things that I would change about them, but this feels different. And if we're you know, we're heading into phase two of the Disney Plus era, uh, when it comes to the shows, I am very excited that we are kicking it off with Moon Knight. Um, I will even sit through Oscar Isaac's British accent for this. <laughs> um, I've heard worse British accents, but it was it was a little striking for me to be. Oh, oh, this is where we're going with it. Okay, all right, this is different. Um, the suit is very strange to me, um, but I mean, there's, there's so much to like about it. There's so, like visually, it looks different. I love that they are tackling the idea of Mark not really knowing who or what he is. Um, and I mean, we got a peek at Bird Skull Conchu in there too, so... Uh, I'm very excited about it. I am hoping that it is as good as that trailer looks because we have been deceived before, ladies and gentlemen, by trailers aplenty in the last few years. And my biggest hope for this show is that if he's going to fight werewolves, that he fights them on the moon. Oh, it'd be so good. It'd be so good. I, I want this to have a unique voice and a unique tone. And I think the trailer sold that. I really hope... What was magic for me about the Marvel Cinematic Universe so long was it got big enough to start pointing me at characters I didn't know very well. You know, there was there are these sort of uh, peaks and troughs of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me where <laughs> as a little boy watching the first Iron Man, I didn't know who the hell Iron Man was. And I feel like I learned about all these characters and then I started to know too much for my own good. And I started... <laughs> to like really sit down and critique and be like, well, that's not how it is in the comics. And then they got into like the Guardians of the Galaxy who I had no idea who those guys were. And they got magic again. And this Moon Knight feels that kind of magic again. I was like, I couldn't tell you anything about him before I read all this stuff this week, but now I'm, I'm very excited. And I, I want to learn about the MCU's Mark Spector, which Same. will be fun. So I'm very excited. I'm excited to learn about whether we get to see some, you know, it, it seems like in the trailer he starts out as Stephen Grant, and hopefully we're going to get some Jake Lockley, some true Mark Spector in there. I am, my excitement is high. Uh, I am, I'm in the same boat as you. There have been some high, high peaks and some low valleys when it comes to the voice of the MCU. Uh, there's a complaint levied at the MCU, and rightfully so. I think that a lot of it feels like the same because it all has to fit the same universe. And I would argue that the magic of that first Avengers movie is that all of them feel like they're coming from very different places. 
And I hope that this does have a unique voice. And I hope that it brings people who have never heard of Moon Knight before to Moon Knight comics. And, you know, even if, even if, listener, I'm not going to judge you if you choose not to read the Lemire run. It will make me sad, but I won't judge you. It is a wonderful run. Moon Knight is a very fascinating character, and I hope that this does what the MCU and what Marvel has done for many of its more obscure characters, and that is get people to read more comics. Um, but thank you so much, Dallas, for coming out. As always, it is a pleasure. Um, feel free, your, the floor is yours. Plug what you would like. If our listeners want to keep up with you, where can they find you? I am terminally online on twitter.com <laughs> at Dallas underscore comics. Please come and bully me off that website. But more, more importantly, I have a weekly podcast, The Comics Collective, where we discuss a trade paperback or a collection of comic books. This coming week, we will, well, today, as you're listening to this, we're yes. talking about Saga Book 3 to celebrate oh. the return of my personal favorite comic. So hop on over, give that a listen. And there's a fun backlog of conversations about some of my personal favorite comic books. Genuinely, Comics Collective is such a fun, fun show. Every single week they are bringing you laughs, they are bringing you sass, and they are bringing you comics. Uh, what more could you want? In a weekly show if really, like i said if, if you like what i do you're going to love what they do um dallas and lexi they're all incredible uh go check them out subscribe to their podcast go follow them on twitter bully them as much as you can especially about their completely wrong opinions on cyclops um but it, but that's okay but that's okay uh but yes, so this is, uh, that is going to do it for our Moon Knight talk, our Lemire Smallwood Belair and Co. Moon Knight. Um, tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast. Uh, as always, this Friday, as you're listening to this, we do uh, Geeksplain Book Club, where I, along with my co-hosts Malcolm and Jacob, are going through every single volume of ultimate spider-man so tune in for that on fridays brand new episodes of the geeksplain podcast on wednesdays <sighs> i think i've covered everything so uh tune in next week for a brand new episode same geek time same geek channel but for now for geeksplain i've been eric Kazana. this has been dallas from the comics collective and we will see you next time mm -hmm.